everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you, as always, for joining me. This episode is going to be different uh, from any other episode that I've done for a couple reasons. First of all, it's going to be just me today. I have no co-host. I have no interviewer or interviewee. So just me and you talking which is going to be a little bit weird for me. So bear with me. I'm going to try the best that I can. Um, But today we're talking about a topic that I get asked about a lot. And I just thought that it would be fun and hopefully useful uh, to just lay out all of my thoughts, answer all of the questions, just kind of get it all out there in one episode um, so that it's there for you. And so you can maybe uh, send this to people who are interested. We're talking about bodybuilding today. We're talking about competitive bodybuilding. and. you know, I, it was a part of my life. It kind of still is. Um, but I learned a lot. I have a lot to say about it. I find it endlessly fascinating and interesting. And so I get asked all the time, why did I get into it? Um, is it bad for you? Is it fun? Should I do it if I have a history of issues around weight loss or, or body image? Um, is it especially bad for women? Um, so many different questions that I thought it would just be fun to go through the whole process. I'm going to tell you everything about my personal story, everything that I learned uh, from a journalistic perspective, because the other thing is when I was competing, I was I was writing about it as well. So I really kind of had a behind the, the scenes, literally look at what this sport is all about. Uh, and I have, I think, I think I have a somewhat different perspective just because most of the people that I talk to or, or read about or hear about people, um, maybe don't have the same experience that I do. So I wanted to share mine, um, and also my thoughts and observations. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to sort of walk you through my experience, what I learned. I'm going to talk about the common mistakes or issues that I see, or maybe even that I experienced, and my recommendations. Uh, And then I'm going to answer a bunch of listener questions and get it all out there. And of course, this is, you know, my daily reminder that I am not a doctor. I'm not um, a professional bodybuilder even. Um, So take all of my recommendations and my ideas with a grain of salt. My sort of whole message with everything health and fitness is for you to empower yourself to learn and gather information from people that you trust and really work through it in your own time and do your own experiments and do your own research, right? So don't just listen to everything I say and and take it as fact because it may not be accurate for you, but it's just me trying to be as sort of transparent and open and honest as I can about a really interesting, really weird sport that I had a lot of fun with. So um, that's kind of the process. It's just going to be me talking into my mic for however long this takes. So be gentle with me. Okay, here we go. We're talking bodybuilding. I'm kind of excited about it. First first order of business, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my personal background and story and how I got into it. Um, and then I'll get into the, the common issues and mistakes that I saw and experienced during my time uh, competitive bodybuilding. So I got into competitive bodybuilding, I want to say, when I was about 29. So I was a little bit maybe older than most people who do it. But looking back, I enjoyed bodybuilding for many years before that. I mean, I was in the gym lifting weights in my own way uh, since I was 16 years old, which 
I guess back when I was 16 years old, 30, 40 years ago, no, not really, uh, early 2000s, uh, it wasn't quite as common. Like there were certainly women in the gym, there were certainly women bodybuilders, but the the environment and the atmosphere in the gym was quite different uh, in the early 2000s than it was today. I mean, now you go into a gym and there's more women bodybuilding than men even, um, and that certainly wasn't the case back then. But I, I had grown up always sort of being fascinated and interested and, and attracted to muscle and strength and for myself and for other people. So there was never sort of this barrier of like being a big, strong person wasn't for me. It was just something for me to appreciate. I, I wanted to do both. I wanted to be strong, be my version of strong, and also appreciate and watch and observe other people uh, being big and strong and impressive. I just was always interested in it. So it made sense that I was in the gym working out with no necessarily real goal for anything when I was a teenager. I mean, who knows what they're doing when they're a teenager, but I worked at a gym. Uh, I was a lifeguard. I was sort of always in that environment. So I was always working out and usually with boyfriends or other people, um, just kind of trying to figure it out, you know, bicep curls whatever, lap pull downs. I don't know what I was doing back then, <laughs> whatever I was doing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it enough to keep doing it and keep going back. And it opened up the world of strength um, and muscle building for me. So from there, I went into sports like CrossFit and powerlifting. Um, all of these things were giving me um, sort of a muscle age, a training age that people talk about. So it's like, if I start working out when I'm 16 and you start working out when you're 25 and we both compete at 26, who's probably going to have more muscle maturity, more sort of understanding of their body and the way it moves and the way it looks. Um, probably the person who's been in the gym, looking at their muscles and working out their muscles for a decade already. Right. So that's sort of the first advantage I had, even though I got into bodybuilding a little bit later than the average person. Uh, I decided to get into it really just because people had been kind of telling me I should for a while, um, because I just love to flex so much. And <laughs> I liked, I liked the idea of sort of having muscles and showing it off. So people were like, Hey, why don't you do a bodybuilding show? Cause that's kind of like what everybody does, right? You want to get in shape, you want to look good. And, and the end goal is you do this little local bodybuilding show. Um, and for the longest time I didn't consider it at all because I figured, well, I can't eat. I can't diet like that for a few months. I mean, that's that's all I thought about when I thought of bodybuilding was this crazy, ridiculous diet, getting leaner than it could be possibly healthy for you, right? So I'm like, there's no way I'm going to go three months without eating a cookie or something. Like I just, it's not worth it. But at a certain point, I sort of took people's um, thoughts to heart and I figured, let's use this as an experiment. This was around the time too that I was kind of transitioning my career from a more corporate communications one to something that was a little bit more focused on health and wellness. And so being a journalist, being a writer, being a communicator, I figured there was a lot that I could learn from this in addition to just getting some abs for a couple of weeks. So I thought, let's kind of really dive into this. Let's look at this as a personal experiment and see what my body can do and what it's capable of and learn a little bit about the sport and write about it and share what I'm learning with other people. So that was what kind of tipped the scales for me. I figured there's there's no sort of risk in this. There's no um, downside. I'm just going to try it and see what happens and, and learn about it. And that's kind of how I approach everything. So uh, I decided to compete in my first uh, figure competition. I got a great coach who was my coach for um, all of my competitions. And I can kind of get into her a little bit later. Um, but I had always 
knew that I was going to go into um, figure, which is a different category of bodybuilding. There's a lot of different categories for both men and women, um, and they change all the time. I can't even really keep track of it now, but there's bikini, there's figure, there's fitness, there's like a wellness category, I believe, that's new now reflecting um, sort of the different aesthetics that are, are coming out um, in popular culture. And there's physique, which is a little bit more muscular, bodybuilding, which is the most muscular. I was sort of uh, on the the lower end of of muscle, if you will, I guess. One up from bikini. Um, I always describe figure as sort of being, um, I think, one of the most achievable but still functional um, muscular physiques. Personally, it's sort of like if a CrossFitter went on a diet for a couple months, like very, um, very aesthetically pleasing, muscular, not overly so. I mean, these people, and I can speak for it because I was in figure. You know, when they're not on stage, look like pretty, pretty average fit people, right? Not, not super huge, not overly muscular. Um, but it was really, um, the, the key components to figure was sort of symmetry, wide shoulders, small waist, like this nice, what they call a V taper. So this nice sort of, um, wider at the shoulders, tapering down really narrow at the waist, and then sort of a nice, um, fit lower body too, but really about, um, nice, nice amount of muscle, not super lean, not super big, just very, athletic looking, I guess is the best way to describe it. And I figured that was where I fit in naturally because I wasn't super muscular. My shoulders were much too wide to do bikini and I wasn't particularly interested in, in that, um, category anyway. And so I thought it made sense. That's the category I was going into. That's the approach I went. I found a figure coach, a coach who competed in figure and I, um, went through the process. It took me about three or four months to quote unquote, um, prep for my first competition. It was a local provincial, well, really city wide, um, competition. And I won my category, which is pretty fun. I'll, I'll dive deeper into the whole process. Um, but I, I won and I enjoyed it and I did pretty well. And I thought, okay, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I have some kind of a little bit of aptitude for this thing, um, which is really just working out and going on stage and and smiling, which, you know, at the end of the day, you're not saving lives. It's really not that big a deal, but you know, for a lot of people, that's like kind of their worst nightmare. And for me, it was really a lot of fun. So I took some, some downtime. I waited probably close to a year, um, and competed in the next stage up. I did it again, did another, uh, process and competed, um, provincial provincially, um, in the, the biggest province in Canada, really in Ontario, there's probably 13 or so uh, million people in this province. So it's the biggest, probably most competitive one. Um, and it also, we have a really interesting um, meathead population in Ontario and also in Nova Scotia on the East Coast where I'm from. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just we we like to work out here. Maybe it's the harsh winters. We've got nothing else to do for six months of the year, but there's a really kind of big, cool and also competitive um, community here. Anyone who's into bodybuilding um, probably knows that. We've got some big names coming out of this province. So anyway, uh, competed again in a provincial competition, won that one as well. So I'm figuring, I guess I'll just keep doing this until um, I am not learning anything anymore, until I'm not progressing anymore. Like, let's just kind of see where it takes me. So the next year I enter a um, national, like Canada-wide um, competition that I believe if I had won that competition, I probably 
I guess would have either competed. I think I would have competed for a pro card. Um, and being a professional, I guess we can kind of get into the nuance of that too, but it's really just, you've sort of won enough competitions that you get a card that says you're a professional bodybuilder, which can open up some opportunities for you, but it's really not quite in my opinion, maybe as prestigious as people outside of the, the, uh, community think, um, because really it's just sort of a different set of responsibilities and expenses for you when you're a professional, but that's kind of, we'll, we'll get to that, I suppose. Anyway, the last competition, um, I was in the top five, um, it was obviously much more competitive. The women were much sort of further along and more experienced than I was. I mean, you know, people are competing for years and years to, to get to that level. And I had done two. Um, so I was certainly probably one of the least muscular people there. Um, some of these women were already kind of on their way to, to being professionals and this was what they were doing with their life. Um, so, you know, it was sort of a different, a different scenario, but I still held my own pretty well. I enjoyed it. I did really well. I liked it. I probably could have kept going and, and become a pro really relatively easily, honestly. Um, but I hit the point where I knew that there were some interventions I'd have to take if I wanted to be competitive at the next level, um, you know, with, uh, performance enhancing drugs and steroids and things that I just didn't really want to, to get into. We can talk about that too. I always competed in the natural category, which doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot if we're being honest. Um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. I still consider myself a bodybuilder. I'm not even necessarily saying I'm done competing. I just sort of stopped at that point, like I said, because I kind of felt like I had reached about the limit of what I could do and what I could learn at that point. Um, looking back now, I think there's a lot more that I could do. So maybe by the end of this chat, I'll have convinced myself uh, to try another <laughs> competition. Um, but I had a overwhelmingly positive experience um, dotted with some, certainly some negative things and things that I learned that were a little bit concerning and, and strange, um, which I think is probably could be said for almost any sport when you kind of dive into the nooks and crannies of the culture. Um, but overall, I think that there are some sort of big questions, big issues um, that you kind of have to parse out for yourself before you dive into it um, and really understand if it's for you, if it's worth it. Um, and I know a lot of people also need to kind of make their own mistakes. Um, but I think that in this case, there are some sort of big overlying and, and continuing issues that we see coming up again and again that most of you, if you're thinking about competing, if you're on the fence, um, you can really take some of this stuff to heart and pay attention to it before you dive in, because there's really no reason uh, for a lot of people to suffer from some of the very common issues and challenges that I saw going through the process. So some of the common issues and mistakes and my kind of feelings and thoughts about them, the very first one, I suppose, would be understanding why you are competing in a bodybuilding competition, why you're doing it, what you're going to get out of it if you do it, and um, if you're really doing it for the right for the right reasons. And this is a really vague thing to say, but I think that a lot of times we come up with ideas and goals because we want to prove something, and that's fine. You know, sometimes you want to prove something to your family or your friends or yourself. And if it's yourself, that's kind of a whole other situation. Um, but with something like this, that is without a doubt, an extreme action, competing in a bodybuilding competition, prep, prepping for a bodybuilding competition is extreme. 
and it can be unhealthy and it has risks. So if you're doing it solely because you want people to think that you are good looking, I guess, um, probably not a good enough reason, honestly. It's fine if that's that's on the list of things you want to do. If you want to look good and take some pictures and show off, far be it for me to judge you for that. I think that's great. But if that's the only reason, there are other things you can do. You can, you know, diet for a couple weeks and take some really great pictures with uh, great editing. and <laughs> You'll look awesome. You put them on Instagram, you get attention. It's great. Um, but this is a different level. So if you're doing it purely for extrinsic, outside of yourself, reasons um, because someone that you're jealous of has done it or because someone told you that you couldn't or you know because you're feeling lost and you're feeling bad about yourself and you need a boost like there really are better healthier more sustainable long-lasting less risky ways to do that so I don't know I'm not you know I'm not the person who's going to tell you what the right reason is to compete okay because we're all individuals and we all have our own lives but I think that it's really um a good exercise for you before you decide to to enter into something like this to sit down and like write some thoughts out make a pros and cons list think about all of the things that you'll be sacrificing and losing if you decide to do a competition think about all the things that you could gain um, maybe envision what would happen if you do this competition spend this money take this time and then lose you come in last place how will you feel Will you still feel good that you put the work in? Will you still feel good that you tested yourself? Or will you feel humiliated and like you wasted your time? You know, negative visualization with these things helps because it shows you how dedicated and how interested you really are. Um, so I think that that really kind of writing some things down, having conversations with other people who have done it before, maybe people that you trust, people that you, you're, you're, you know, you believe in their opinions and thoughts about things, ask them questions about it. But spend some time. Don't just jump on it because it's like, okay, well, I need a goal and I'm, I'm going to do it. This one's a good one because it might not be. And that's okay. So I think just really spending some time with it um, and deciding when you know everything that goes into it, all of the negative stuff that goes into it, do you still want to do it? <laughs> um, then you might be sort of heading in the right direction. So that's probably the first one. Make sure you're doing it for reasons that are um, – really true and authentic to you and relevant. Another big kind of practical issue that I see um, people getting wrong is not getting the right coach. Um, and this is a really pragmatic one. And I, again, I, I have opinions about this that I think may not be, um, you know, it's not fact. I mean, this is my opinion. So some people don't like it. That's okay. I feel pretty strongly, especially as a woman and a woman that competed naturally, that you want to find a coach who um, embodies the same values as you, not just the most popular, biggest coach. Ideally, it's somebody who has um, a look, maybe uh, an aesthetic, a way of training, uh, a way of putting themselves out there that you uh, appreciate and um, admire somebody that you have talked to, that you feel like your personalities will mesh, that their communication style will work for you. I mean, you, you interview these people, right? You don't just go on Instagram and find the biggest name and download their PDF plan for prepping for a competition. That is not how you should do things. You should look into different coaches, maybe see if there are, again, friends or people you know who recommend coaches, 
do some research. When I got my coach, her name is Natalie Waples. She's an IFBB figure pro based in um, my city in Ontario. And she has now moved into um, bikini, but you know, that's, that's her story. But anyway, I did some research. I asked around, I met with her in person before we decided to work together. And I talked to her and we chatted and I kind of got a feel for how she communicates and how she works and what she was into. I liked the way she looked. She always had a very athletic, appealing, attractive, natural look. So it was like, this is somebody that I would actually want to look like that's training me. Um, she never once, uh, tried to, of course, pressure me into doing anything I didn't want to do or taking anything I didn't want to take. I think she actually went the opposite direction and said, look, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, get geared up, like I don't have a, I'm not about that. (laughs) So I knew that I was, uh, I was with the right person right away. Um, and I know people have told me in the past, like, oh, you're saying that women can't have male coaches or vice versa and whatever. And like, I'm not a hundred percent saying that I'm just saying in an ideal world, because this is so, um, intimate and there's so much, to do with hormones and how your body works and women's unique physiology and how we train and how we rest and how we recover and how we look at our bodies and all of these things. I just think that for a lot of people, it would make more sense to have someone who really understands how your body works um, training you. That's just, that's just my opinion. And it worked out really well for me. So All that to say, again, you don't necessarily have to take that advice word for word, but I would highly recommend that you really do research. Don't just pick the most popular person. Don't just pick the cheapest person. Don't just pick the person that you think um, is the most successful or that talks the loudest on social media. Like, Do your research, do some interviews, and pick somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you feel um, you can really learn from and communicate with, um, and is somebody that you want to emulate, not somebody who's just the biggest, baddest person at the gym. Um, So that's my recommendation in terms of getting a coach. And also, of course, not having the right community around you is another big one. And this is something that we can talk about in every area of fitness and life and wellness and everything. If your community isn't supportive, if they aren't um, people who are um, pushing you to be better, if they aren't um, people that you feel like you can talk to and share, uh, if there are people that you feel like don't actually support or care about you, you're not in the right group, right? And I think that this community, like every community, is full of people who are um, kind and smart and want to help each other and want to encourage and support each other. And then there's people in the community who are just um, maybe not in it for the right reasons, maybe not the nicest people, not necessarily there to help you or support you. Um, maybe they're just there to, I don't know, sell you some drugs, to be honest. I mean, that that happens in this community. So I think that making sure you're around people who make you feel um, supported and encouraged rather than anxious or insecure or pressured, I think is really important. And you can find that. I mean, this is this is a conversation that could go in a whole different rabbit hole because sometimes it's hard to to uh, remove yourself from a group or a relationship that is problematic. That's not easy, but it's absolutely something that as adults, we need to get better at doing for our own mental health. Uh, So make sure you're surrounded by people who um, make you feel good and not bad. Okay. Pretty common sense. Uh, another thing that I think I saw people, um, making this process harder for themselves than it needed to be is how you apply 
the bodybuilding prep to your life. So a lot of people get really excited about this competition and they get a little bit myopic about it and it becomes their entire life. And I get it. Like when I was when I was prepping, it was a huge part of my life because my life revolved around training and eating, um, making sure I was eating enough, the right kinds of foods and training enough and the right kind of training. So for three months of every year, that was kind of my my biggest goal. I mean, I was still working, I still had relationships, but that was really the thing I thought about the most. But I tried very hard to make sure that it wasn't the only thing I could think about. And just remembering that this is something that you chose to do. It wasn't put on you. It wasn't forced upon you. So to approach every day, like here are all the things I'm sacrificing and I can't do this and I can't go out with my friends and have a drink and I can't eat this food and I have to go train for an hour now and I have to do this. I mean, first of all, that puts you in the wrong headspace because you're in this sort of negative feedback loop of all the things you have to do and all the things you can't do, which isn't really the best way to excel at anything. But also it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit kind of selfish and whiny, to be honest. I mean, I, I've caught myself doing it and I caught a lot of other people doing it too, but this is something you chose to do, presumably for fun, uh, for yourself. And it's a pretty selfish sport, just like most sports, when you hit a certain level, you're focused on yourself all the time. I mean, that's a pretty privileged way to be. So for you to you know, go out with your friends and spend the entire time complaining about what you can eat and drink or, you know, to bitch that you have to go to the gym when this is something that you decided to do. Uh, it's not the best way to live your life, right? I mean, it's just kind of setting this sort of negative vibe on everything that you do. And so certainly there were times during my preps where I was tired or maybe where I wished I could have a piece of cake. You know, that's very normal. Um, but I think that constantly reminding yourself that you have a choice, it's like something my uh, friend and, and former IFBB um, pro bodybuilder Ben Bukulski likes to say, you don't have to work out, you get to work out. And I think that's something that we should really be applying to to all things in our life, right? That we we should be grateful, honestly, every day to be alive and to be able to do the things that we want to do and we chose to do. So I really tried to do that for myself during preps. Like when I had my my moments of weakness or sadness or self-pity, I thought, I'm I'm choosing to do this. I get to do this. This is an incredible, unique experience. And it's tough, but that's where you grow. That's where you grow and get better and learn about yourself is in the tough moments. So um, I think that on a more practical level, how you can apply that to your life is instead of making a big deal out of what you can't eat when you're, when you're, you know, having dinner with your family or something, you just kind of don't have to, you just don't have to make a big deal out of it. You can just choose not to, you know, if you're sitting at a bar and your friends are having a drink and you're having a club soda with lemon in it, you don't have to roll your eyes and sigh and be sad about it. You're just drinking something different. And the less of a big deal you make out of it, the less of a big deal other people are going to make out of it. So then you don't have to worry about those daily, well, you can just have this one drink with me. It's just, you know, it's just one. Or you can just have this one piece of cake because, you know, it's just a special occasion. You can just, you know, that kind of stuff, like dealing with that, those, that decision fatigue every day because people are constantly trying to get you to do things. If you just, you just say, you know, not today, not today. I'm training for something. It's fine. Not a big deal you know, and then you know that it's not a big deal. They know that it's not a big deal. You don't have to apply this veil of, uh, sacrifice and compromise, um, 
and restriction over everything you do. You've made a choice and this is what your choice looks like and uh, it's temporary and you move on with your life. You can still absolutely be social. You can still go out with people. Um, you can still have dinner. You can do all of the things that you did before. You just have a, a slightly different lens because you have a different goal. So making less of a big deal out of how different your routine and life is, I think is key um, because it just creates this, this negative environment that's like this thing you have to get through, which again, you don't want to look at it that way. You want to look at it like this is fun. This is something you get to do. Um, so that's another one. Another common issue and challenge is people tend to do too much uh, too much when enough is enough. Uh, and what I mean by that is people who, um, if again, you are kind of coming at this from a, a, an insecure place or a place where you're not quite uh, comfortable with what you're supposed to be doing, maybe again, you have, don't have the best coach. Maybe you um, have a history of sort of dysfunctional attitudes towards eating and body image and you're, you're not really comfortable um, with the process and the fact that at the end of the day, this is a, um, a beauty pageant, essentially. You're getting up barely dressed on a stage and having people look at you. Okay. So you got to get real, real clear and comfortable on, on that end goal. Um, but a lot of times people, again, because you sort of get stuck in this bubble where you think that bodybuilding is everything and it's the most important thing and what you look like is the most important thing. Um, and people kind of take it too far. You think that if getting lean is what you need to do, then getting the leanest will be the best and it will make sure that I win and it'll make sure that I'm the best. And that's not true. It's not true in most cases, especially if you are an amateur. So if you are not a professional bodybuilder, you're competing locally. Uh, there are different, literally different physical requirements for the different um, categories. So in some categories, you need to be bigger and leaner and you need to have striated muscles throwing, showing through your skin and you need to have veins popping out of your body. That's different. In the competition that I'm talking about, you have to look athletic, you have to be lean, but you don't want to be incredibly lean. You don't want to have striated muscles. You don't want to have veins popping out. You just want to be sort of lean and toned. And oh, I said toned. I just said the word toned. Guys, I didn't mean it. Sorry. I'm going to have to scratch that out. But you know what I mean, right? Like visible muscle showing through your skin, not a lot of body fat visible. Um, so it goes back to being pragmatic, looking at this less emotionally, reading the instructions. There are literally instructions saying if you compete in figure or if you compete in um, men's fitness might be the, the sort of related category. Um, this is kind of the leanness that we're looking for. This is the sort of shape and type of muscle we're looking for. This is... Um, how we want you to look, essentially. Um, listen to what the judges are telling you, okay? Because I've just seen so many people, like I'm talking about a, a local provincial figure competition where women are so lean, so lean that they on stage look drawn and stringy and they've got gaunt faces and they have no energy and they're miserable. Um, and they did so much extra work and, and risked their health and ended up doing worse as a result because they just weren't able to see things objectively and listen. You know, they just thought more is more. 
and it's not. So again, this is where having a good coach comes in because for example, my coach got me, I always say this, she got me lean enough and no leaner. So I was never the leanest person on stage. Um, I was appropriate. Like I wasn't up there looking like, you know, I've been sitting on the couch during the pandemic for six months. Like I was lean. Um, it, it was appropriate, but I wasn't any leaner than I had to be. So like my face was never skinny and drawn and I didn't, I really didn't have a lot of like energy um, issues because I did it so gradually and I didn't get any leaner than I had to. So I just, I can't stress that enough, especially for women and especially at a more amateur level. You got to remember you're doing this for fun. If you are willing to impact your health, your hormonal health, your reproductive health, um, your mental health, just to get, just to be the, the leanest person on stage, that is a sign that this is not healthy for you. Um, so yeah, just remember, I mean, look, human beings, we are biologically set up to do the least amount of work possible. So we are going against our nature when we do these crazy things anyway. So just a reminder that doing more isn't always better and sometimes it's worse. So food for thought. Okay. Next, and we're going to talk about this later when I answer some listener questions, but one of the big issues is comparing yourself to others. And listen, that could be a whole podcast unto itself, of course, because we all do it. We're all guilty of it. It's very hard not to. We're social creatures. Um, it's just what we do. We compare ourselves to other people. And this is a competition. Bodybuilding is a competition where you get up on stage with a bunch of other people and you are compared to each other. So yeah, seems counterintuitive, seems kind of silly for me to say it. Uh, but look, if you've you've accepted that you're doing a competition where you're going to get up on stage and compare yourself, great. But why do it the whole rest of the time when you're prepping, when you're on your own, when you're you're just trying to work and, and improve yourself by spending tons of time comparing yourself to other people? Literally all you're doing is adding worry and stress and needless anxiety to your life. Um, and it's also not useful because it's basically impossible to use that information in any particular um, useful way. So if you compare yourself to professionals and Photoshopped people on the internet, of course, you're just going to feel bad about yourself. It's not helpful. You're not going to compete against those people. What's the point? Um, and then if you maybe track down or, or find some people online or, or friends at the gym who you are competing with, and you're kind of always looking out of the corner of your eye and checking out their delts or checking out their quads, what does that mean? It means that you're not focusing on yourself. You're not optimizing your time and your mental energy to be the best person you can be. You're just arbitrarily um, adding worry to your life. And I'll also say from a very practical standpoint that it's very difficult for anyone to look at another person and objectively compare. So if you really are just trying to size up your, your uh, competition, right, and you're looking at this person in the gym, you know they're your height, they're going to compete in your category, and you're thinking, geez, they're so much bigger than me or their, their glutes are so much better or whatever, it's just really hard for you to tell objectively is this person in a different league than me or not? Um, and I can say this because I I really made a specific effort to not compare myself. I didn't follow basically any female bodybuilders on social media while I was competing because I knew what kind of rabbit hole that would that would bring me down. So I, I literally didn't. I just I didn't look at other competitors. With that said, I was in a community where I was seeing competitors in real life at the gym all the time. I was friends with some of them. Um, and so I couldn't help but know, like, look, these are the people I'm going to be competing against. And very often I'd look at them and say, 
these women are way more muscular than me. They're, they're way uh, bigger and have more muscles and they're leaner. They're just walking around the way I look two weeks out from a competition. Like, of course, I'm looking at these people and thinking I'm not in the same category. And then I'd get up on stage and I'd win. And, you know, I say that uh, kind of jokingly, like I'm, I'm sort of showing off as I'm saying this, but like, it's the truth. And so you don't know what the judges are seeing that's different than what you're seeing. Um, in a lot of cases, I would edge out other competitors because of the, um, the shape and the symmetry rather than just the strict size. And so this is also where judging is different when you're at a, a more um, amateur level versus competitive level. Like I certainly am not muscular enough to compete at a high level in figure right now. Um, but in some of the competitions, the fact that I had really broad shoulders and a really small waist and I was um, nicely muscled w- beat out women who were way more muscular than me, but maybe didn't have the shape that they were looking for. Again, this is all aesthetics. This is all arbitrary, but it's just saying that I was standing next to a woman that had 15 pounds of muscle on me that was way leaner than me. And I'm like, how, how could I possibly compete against this woman? And then I go out on stage and I beat her. So if I had spent more time comparing and stressing and thinking, there's no way, there's no way I'm never going to win what's that doing, but just adding misery and stress and cortisol to my life that I didn't need. Cause it, at the end of the day, what I thought wasn't accurate. Right. Um, so that's just a little anecdote to tell you, you are literally wasting your time comparing yourselves to others. It does not help. What you should be doing is focusing every minute that you're in the gym on how to make yourself the best that you can be. Um, and I honestly, I think this in every area of life. Don't compare yourself to others. It's such a waste of time. Why would you do it to yourself? There's no reason. It literally doesn't help. It never helps anything. So stop comparing yourself to others. Okay, done. Um, The other big thing I would say, um, and this is sort of maybe the last kind of big point before we take a break, is not planning for what comes after your bodybuilding competition. So, and this is, um, this is sort of a community wide issue that we focus so much on that one day, that one minute, that one end goal, and we have no conversation or planning for what happens after. And any of you listening who are athletes, who are competitors or anybody who's trained or planned or worked for a specific goal and then felt the sadness and the um, sort of loss afterwards when you don't have that goal anymore. And you think, okay, well, who am I now if I don't have this goal? Or what do I do now? Um, It's very normal. It's very natural for people to have that sort of slump after a big goal has been achieved. Um, And that's, that's something we need to focus more on because that has a dramatic impact on mental health and physical health in this case too. Um, So looking at it, and I tell people this all the time, you got to look at your health. You got to look at any goal as just part of this lifelong journey. Your, your bodybuilding competition is a couple minutes of a day out of your life. Um, And it's a big, big couple of minutes. It's important. It's fun. um, But it's just a minute. It's just a blip. So we really need to spend much more time focusing on how it feels to train for the show, how it feels to come out of the show and do something else. Those are, that's, that's what your life is. Your life isn't that two minutes on stage. Um, So, and this is something that I did have some issues with um, just because I, I didn't have any plan for the first maybe one or two of my competitions. I had zero plan for what happens after. Um, and I was able to kind of catch myself and and fix some things. Um, but that is a 
a big concern. And a lot of people have an issue, um, major issues, health and mental health wise, when they come out of a competition and don't know what to do next. So um, make sure that's, that's part of the planning with your coach, you know, talk to them about it, say, how do I, what do I do after the competition, the, the few days after the few weeks after um, what, what do I do training wise? What do I do food wise? How do I prepare for the mental struggles that are, that are going to come when you don't look the way you looked at the competition, um, when you don't maybe know what your next goal is. Like these are all things that you can plan for so that they are not as big of an issue when they come because you knew they were coming, um, and you know how to handle it. So, um, so that's it. Those are sort of the big issues and challenges that I saw. Um, and my recommendations, I'm going to take a bit of a break now so I can drink the rest of my coffee. And then I'm going to answer some listener questions all about bodybuilding. Hey, everybody interrupting my own damn podcast here to tell you about today's show sponsor because they're important. And before you skip through this, I got to tell you, this is one of the biggest discounts that basically any company ever offers for things like this. It's 20% off. So maybe you want to listen to this one. I'll keep it brief. You guys know already Bubs Naturals is my only source for collagen and MCT powder, which I am using consistently every day in my coffee, in my baking, in my protein oatmeal, in my bone broth, whatever I'm eating basically is going to have one or both of these products in it. Um, you know, what else do you need? Collagen, coffee, chocolate, organ meats. That's it. Uh, Bubs makes the best collagen. It mixes better than any other product I've tried. Their MCT goes into my iced coffee every morning and mixes really well. It makes it creamy, full of healthy fats for if I'm not going to have a big breakfast, I just kind of want to get going, but obviously still need my coffee. Uh, and also, this company gives a full 10% of their earnings to a charity that supports military veterans, which is an important cause um, and one that I support and will continue to support. So they're a company focused on giving back first before making money, which I think is actually pretty rare uh, in this day and age, and they just happen to make great products. So it's a win, win, win all around. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use the code MM20, which stands for Muscle Maven 20% off. So MM20 at bubsnaturals.com. Go get some collagen for your gut health and your beauty. Get some MCT to support those low-carb goals and do something to help the world all at the same time. All right, that's it. Back to the show. All right, and we're back. Time to answer some listener questions. Thank you uh, for sticking with me. If you're still here listening to me just rant by myself, it's so weird. Um, and thank you for everyone who sent in questions because people I think are really fascinated with the sport, whether you are just a non-competitive bodybuilder, whether you're somebody who watches from the outside and thinks it's crazy. Uh, maybe you are already a competitor and you just want to hear somebody else's perspective. Um, I appreciate you guys being interested because I still think this is a fascinating uh, sport and a fascinating industry. Um, and you can learn a lot. So uh, I appreciate you guys um, being interested as well and, and being willing to have this conversation. Um, so I'm going to dive into some questions here. The first one, uh, this is a quick one. Do you recommend being able to do bodybuilding and CrossFit at the same time, or does it have to be one or the other? 
if you are bodybuilding for fun, not competitive bodybuilding, you can absolutely do both. And I know there are actually uh, some folks out there who have created programs that are sort of like a hybrid of bodybuilding and CrossFit workouts. Um, Marcus Philly is one that comes to mind. I actually interviewed him once for Barbell Shrugged, and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, Let me just make a note of that. Yeah. So he was a competitive uh, uh, CrossFitter who also is insanely jacked and lean and looks like a bodybuilder. And he incorporates both aspects into his training. Um, I mean, I always thought of it because I came from CrossFit before I got into bodybuilding that I certainly incorporated elements of traditional CrossFit into my bodybuilding training. So the days that I had to do um, like hit cardio or the days that I had to do, my coach told me to do more like plyometric fat burning stuff rather than just sort of bodybuilding lifting sets. I'd be doing CrossFit Metcons, things that I like to do. I do, um, you know, I'd incorporate double unders and burpees and um, more dynamic, quicker movements like dumbbell um, clean and jerks and stuff like that um, safely, you know, within my ability and within my sort of area of understanding how to do that kind of stuff. Um, You can certainly mix all of these together. And I also think that if you're somebody who's coming from a CrossFit background and just sort of interested in learning more about bodybuilding, I think bodybuilding is uh, potentially a great addition to your repertoire because it's going to um, allow you to do some movements and exercises, excuse me, that focus on maybe weak body parts, that focus on um, imbalances um, that can grow, bring up the strength of certain areas that may be weaker for you that are going to help with your CrossFit workout. So I think that they actually work together really quite well, um, just from a training and living perspective. I think it's great to do both. If you're talking about doing a three-month bodybuilding prep and doing a bunch of CrossFit workouts uh, during your prep, that is where I think you need to pay some attention, talk to your coach, um, because you're constantly balancing when you're prepping for bodybuilding show, you're constantly balancing your energy, your recovery, um, and sort of hormonal health. So if you are beasting yourself with these crazy CrossFit workouts, and then you're also maybe trying to go into the gym and do a bunch of steady state cardio, and then a couple bodybuilding, uh, movements at the same time. And you could, you could burn yourself out pretty quickly. Um, and you're not going to want to do a lot of these like high intensity Metcons and stuff when you're getting closer to a bodybuilding show and your body fat is going down and, um, you're eating less calories. I mean, you're not going to be fueling yourself properly. So, um, there's some, some nuance and some balance that you have to achieve there. But I think again, if you're just sort of a person who likes to work out and be fit and you like to have muscles combining bodybuilding and CrossFit, um, to a certain extent can be awesome. That's certainly what I do even today when I work out. Um, so yeah, uh, next question. And this, I kind of spoke to it, um, before the break, but this, how to focus on yourself without comparing yourself to others. I mean, listen, if I had the, the one answer for you, I'd be a millionaire. I'd have a book selling billions of copies. Uh, so I tend to have a little bit of a tough love approach to stuff like this. The answer is you just have to do it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like if you, if you want to sit around and compare yourself to others and feel bad about yourself, maybe you're in the wrong, uh, sport. Um, and yeah, I mean, you need to just, you, you just need to do the work mentally to make sure that you are, your head's in the right place. 
your goals are in the right place, your focus is on the right place. And it's going to happen. You're going to backslide. You're going to look at somebody who's super buff and you're going to think, when will I get there? You're going to feel insecure sometimes. And that's part of human nature too. You don't want to beat yourself up about it. But if you're spending more time thinking about what other people are doing and what other people look like than what you look like and what you're doing, um, you're wasting your time. So some practical things there would be, again, don't follow people on social media that make you feel insecure and bad about yourself. Just don't. Just unfollow them. Don't look at it. Um, Because we could all go down rabbit holes on social media that leave us feeling bad and insecure and weird um, and life is too short. So just don't do it. Um, Surround yourself, like I said earlier in the call, surround yourself with people who um, support you and make you feel good and... um, are there to help you rather than vice versa. And, uh, that's really it. I mean, it's just, it's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. You just have to work at it. Um, but it's worth it. So that's an important one. Um, what was the hardest part of the journey you didn't anticipate? That's a really good question. Um, for me, there really wasn't a part of the journey that was difficult that I didn't anticipate, again, because I really kind of did my research. Um, I read about it. I asked questions. I talked to people before I entered into uh, the competitive part of this journey. So there really wasn't anything that super surprised me. Um, There was lots of tough parts. There was a lot of challenge, but it wasn't anything that I kind of didn't see coming, um, which I'm thankful for. I would say probably the the most difficult part, the part that was more difficult than I expected was post-show. So the day of the competition and getting on stage and the stress and the weirdness of it all, that was just kind of fun for me. Honestly, I really didn't have a lot of nerves. I just thought it was sort of just bizarre and surreal and super fun. Um, And the prep part was difficult and challenging and tedious, but I knew that and I I was mentally prepared for that. It was the post-show just feeling of aimlessness that was tough for me um, because I recognized that I didn't think it would be good for my health to just go right into another competition. I know a lot of people do that. Um, and so I really wanted to give myself time to relax and figure out what I wanted and and take a break. And But with that came a real feeling of um, aimlessness and, and being like, well, what do I do now? And I kind of feel lazy. And when I don't have this thing that's taking up so much of my mental and physical energy, I just kind of feel a little blah and a little sad. Um, so that was something that I worked on each competition to do a better job, to prepare myself better for it and to have other goals. And it doesn't have to be another bodybuilding competition a month later. It doesn't have to be some other physical competition. It could be something, anything, I don't know, a vacation, like take a course, um, do something else, take up some other hobby, but having, having plans in place, I think is really important. Um, so that was probably the hardest thing for me. Uh, we've got another question here, challenges around money and time to, um, get to a professional level. So yeah, I mean, maybe this is something people really don't talk about a lot. It's a very expensive sport. Um, especially if it's something where you're not getting any money out of it, which most people are not. I mean, there are people who make a good living being buff and being professional bodybuilders because they have a huge audience and they have companies who are willing to pay them to talk about, uh, the products and maybe they, yeah, they have formal sponsors. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can do it, um, but it certainly isn't easy. It certainly isn't something that everyone can do. And for the vast majority of people who are amateur bodybuilders, you are not making any money. You are just paying into the sport. And there's a lot of costs that people do not 
anticipate. So, I mean, everything from you're paying to be in the competition, um, you're often paying to travel to these competitions. So we're talking hotel and planes and trains or however you're getting there. Um, Food might cost more, might be different um, when you're prepping for a show. Um, Things like your competition suit, which you can actually rent those suits. That's another story. But if you want to buy them, they are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, You need special competition jewelry. You need special competition shoes. Those are all costs. Um, You need to pay to have your hair and makeup done for the day of the show. And I do highly recommend that. I mean, some people who are really good at that stuff can do it for themselves, but for the most part, it's a very specific type of um, beauty that looks good on on the stage. Um, And usually if you try to do it yourself, you can tell and it's not good. So these are things you kind of want to invest in. You want to pay to have somebody who knows what stage presentation looks like to do your hair and makeup. That costs a lot of money when you get your tan the day of, because everybody has to get that crazy fake tan before you get on stage, which also I highly recommend you do and do it professionally. That costs money. Um, So there's tons and tons of costs that go into these things, which is again, why you want to be sure that you can afford it, that you can, you can, you have time and space in your life to do this, um, that you're willing to make the investment for your own reasons, because I don't think you should be spending five to a thousand, 500 to a thousand dollars on a sparkly suit. If you're just doing this for a couple pictures, like it's a lot, it's a lot of investment in time and energy and money. Um, so again, you know, if you have the ability to do that, great. Um, if you have the ability to bring on partners who can help you, um, people who can will sponsor you and give you stuff for free, great. Most people don't have that, and you shouldn't have the expectation that you will have it. Um, so if this is something that's going to break the bank and make you super stressed out, then again, that's a sign that maybe this isn't the right sport for you or the right time for you to be doing this. And there are other things you can do that might this is part of like sort of the deeper conversation around the the mental aspect of it, but there are other things you can do that can give you the same sense of accomplishment of a bodybuilding competition. I tell people all the time, if you're, if you come to me and you're like, I'm super scared about the idea of getting on a bikini on stage and being judged. And I'm really worried about this super strict diet and how that's going to affect me mentally. I'm like, you're telling me the answer already. You do not want to do this. You know what you could do instead? You can do some other kind of competition that isn't as aesthetically focused. You can do a photo shoot where you do have to prep and and eat really strict and and put on a cute outfit, but it's not the same as getting up on stage. You can be, uh, you can lose a couple pounds and you can um, work out really hard and you can do your hair and makeup and do a beautiful photo shoot without getting to uh, dangerously low levels of body fat. I mean, and you get those pictures and you look great and you feel great and you worked hard for it. There you go. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars on a bodybuilding competition. So um, yeah, there's absolutely costs uh, associated that may not be worth it for you. And it's worth even maybe creating a budget, asking around, talking to people, create a budget before you start this and think, do I have the money? Oh, that's another big cost. Coaches. Coaches aren't free. They cost a lot of money too. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of expenses that go into this. And it, again, could very well be worth it for the, the enjoyment and the learning experience that you get out of it, but maybe not. So make a budget before you get started. Can you afford this? Is it worth it? Very good question. Uh, another question, can you prep for a bodybuilding show as a carnivore or paleo primal? I think the short answer is yes. I have not done it. Um, but I basically sort of 85% did it. I mean, I think if I was going to compete, um, and prep as a paleo meat-based paleo person, really the 
it, it's just about tweaking um, my carb sources, honestly, um, replacing my oatmeal with, I don't know, more sweet potato or something. Um, so you absolutely can. And I mean, I think that it's, it's individual to the person, right? How you, how you manage the nutrition side of it, but really it's about um, very gradually restricting calories, reducing calories um, so that you're losing body fat in a relatively healthy, sustainable way while still supporting the processes by which muscle growth and muscle maintenance occur um, and to essentially minimize muscle loss during a fat loss period. Um, So you can do that with any kind of food you want. I mean, there are typical bodybuilder um, meals because they just are kind of tried and true and they work. And it's things like very lean meat um, and things like white rice and oatmeal um, and potato and stuff like that because of the um, glycemic response and the um, slow working of some of these carbs, right? So like you can have like a bowl of oatmeal and some egg whites and you're going to feel full for hours. And that's going to, that's going to, well, for some people, for me, it worked. Um, But anyway, you absolutely can. It's funny because that's sort of the only idea that sparked in my head that made me maybe want to compete again is to do it 100% paleo. And maybe I still will. Um, but I know people who who competed um, in bodybuilding and they were keto, which goes completely against how most people um, prep nutritionally for a bodybuilding competition. Most the typical bodybuilders thing is high protein, high carb, very low fat. And I know people who have done it very high fat, moderate protein, super low carb. That would not work for me personally. Um, but again, I think that's about knowing your body, knowing how you respond energy wise, um, and how your digestion works and all of those things. There's certainly scope to, um, fit the bodybuilding nutrition prep diet into the way that you already eat. So again, if you're like thinking about doing a bodybuilding show, but you are strict paleo and you're like, I don't want to get into this because it's going to mean that I have to eat rice every day. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. You just have to figure out other carb sources or other um, energy sources that are going to work for you. Um, So stay tuned on that because that honestly might be the one thing that gets me back into a um, competition bikini is trying to do it uh, with a paleo diet. Um, okay. Another question here is what was my motivation and did I ever feel like quitting? So I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in the chat that my motivation was really more learning. I mean, again, full disclosure, I absolutely wanted to see what my abs looked like cause I'd never seen them before. I wanted to see, um, how much muscle I could build. I wanted to see how I stacked up um, because everyone was always telling me that I sort of had this, this natural sort of aptitude and, and frame for it. I mean, a lot of this does come from genetics, right? I mean, like I said before, I know lots of people who have way more muscle than me, but the shape, the shape of their body, the natural shape of their body does not necessarily lend itself to aesthetic bodybuilding competitions. I was kind of the other way around. I was sort of born with kind of a shape that worked for it. And I had to put muscle on to, to make myself competitive. Um, so my motivation was just, I wanted to learn. I wanted to try something. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to see what my body looked like at a, at a leaner stage than it's ever been before. And I wanted to learn something about a sport. And so um, there were enough reasons going on there that were very intrinsic to me. Um, again, not looking for really outside validation because, to be honest with you, people like my body more when it's not as lean. 
if, if we're really going on what outside people thought, my partner, um, my friends, my Instagram followers, people like me better with a little meat on my bones. So if I was really doing this for attention, uh, it wouldn't have been smart. Um, so I had enough intrinsic reasons and, and sort of learning um, reasons and curiosity that it, the motivation part was great, but it was really more like, this is something I've set out. This is a goal I've set. So I'm going to do it until it's done. Um, and I never really felt like quitting, honestly. And again, I, I attribute this to the amount of research and thought that I put into the process. So it wasn't like I just decided to do something and then the next day I did it and I got a coach and then three weeks in, I'm like, what the hell have I done? (laughs) What did I get myself into? I never felt like that. I knew what I had gotten myself into and I knew that it was temporary and I knew that it was going to be tough and I was up for the challenge. So no, I honestly never felt like quitting. I definitely had days where I felt like eating four cakes. Uh, I definitely had days where my energy was lower. Um, but no, I never felt like quitting. Um, and I really kind of enjoyed all of it, even the hard stuff. Okay. The next question is muscle building tips for super lean female ectomorphs. And I would imagine this is really kind of for, for male, uh, super lean male ectomorphs as well. So for anybody listening who doesn't understand that word, there are sort of three main categories that are, um, describing natural body types. So there's ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph. Ectomorph is somebody, and this is just all very general, so go Google it and do your research and and learn more, but ectomorph is somebody who tends to be leaner, less body fat, less muscle, harder to gain weight, harder to gain muscle. An endomorph on the other side is somebody who tends to be bigger. Um, It's easier for them to have body fat. They might naturally have more body fat, um, so it's harder for them to get lean. And then the beautiful, lucky mesomorph in the middle is somebody who um, tends towards being quite muscular um, and they're just sort of sorted out. I I tend to to find myself personally, well, most of us I think are probably somewhere in between these things. Like most people aren't like a hundred percent one or the other. Some people are um, fit like very nicely into these categories. I think that I am somewhere in between surprisingly enough, an ectomorph and a mesomorph, because I do have some of the characteristics of that nice sorted sorted out guy in the middle. So sort of the broader shoulders and the sort of long, full muscle bellies. And, you know, I, I have a decent amount of muscle on my body for my size, but I also am smaller. So my, my bone structure is very small. I have like really dainty kind of little hands and wrists and things like that. And so I think that if I didn't work out and wasn't so into fitness, I would tend more towards being the sort of smaller, skinnier person than the bigger person. Um, and each of these sides comes with their challenges, right? So if you are an endomorph and you tend to be bigger and hold body fat, it's going to be a lot harder for you to, uh, lean out and get that, that, that lean look that you're looking for on stage. If you're an ectomorph um, and you're skinnier and have a harder time putting on weight, it's going to be a lot tougher for you to build the muscle that you need um, to be competitive. So we've all got our challenges, um, but you've all got your advantages too. So you got to look at it that way. Um, Muscle building tips for super lean female ectomorphs. Again, I'm not a... uh, an expert, but I would say that it's the same thing that I've been telling women to do forever. And if you go back and listen to some of my episodes with Rachel Gregory and some of the episodes that she and I have done on her podcast, it's called Metflex and Chill, where we're talking about um, building muscle for women. You have to eat enough to 
facilitate muscle growth. You have to eat protein. You have to work very hard in the gym and you have to recover properly. And all three of those things are things that in my experience, a lot of women have a hard time with uniquely all of those three things. A lot of women think that the more they eat, the fatter they're going to get, period. They think if I eat more, I'm going to gain fat. And that is not necessarily the case. And it is certainly not the case with ectomorphs, with lean people. You need to eat enough. Muscle does not just appear magically because you go and lift weights. You need to support your body's growth. You need to give it fuel to grow and create new tissue. That doesn't just happen, right? So you have to eat enough. And again, maybe for an ectomorph, that means more protein than you think. So maybe if you're a 120-pound mesomorph or an endomorph, you need to eat 120 grams of protein a day to support that. Maybe for an ectomorph, you need to eat 140 or 150. So that's where having a coach, having an expert, doing some testing, doing some experimentation, that's going to help you figure that out. Um, But you have to eat enough. And then you have to work your ass off in the gym. You can't sit there on your phone, half paying attention, going through the motions. You need to be in there and be focused and sweat and grunt and fail sometimes and and, um, make notes so that you can keep track of your progress and get heavier and try different things and shock the body and switch things up and work really hard. So again, these are kind of the details that you get into with a coach, what that looks like, what that training plan looks like for you. Um, But if you're not going into the gym with the full intention to do everything you can in that session, you're not going to get the results. Like the results are equal to the effort you're putting in. And it's easy for people who work out all the time to, um, sometimes go on autopilot, right? Like I I've been guilty of doing this. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for decades now. And sometimes I go in there and I'm not really kind of paying attention and all I'm doing is wasting my own time. So, you know, you get this opportunity to go into the gym and to work on yourself and to grow and to make changes. So put the focus in when you're there. And then lastly, it's the recovery thing. So if you're just, and especially with bodybuilders, because all they want to do is work out and, and eat and then do more cardio. And, uh, if you are burning the candle at both ends and you are working really, really hard in the gym and maybe you have another job and maybe you have kids and a family and you're doing all this other work and you're not taking time to recover, your muscle growth will stall, period. And everyone thinks that they're the exception to that rule. Everyone thinks that they're the one person who can just work harder than everyone else and and get through it. And you're not. No one's special. I'm not special. You're not special. You need to recover. You need to work hard and then you need to fuel your body and then you need to let it rest and grow because it's that recovery period after you've torn up your muscles and broken yourself down in the gym. It's the recovery period where your body builds it back up stronger and bigger. So if you take that recovery part out of the equation, you're not going to build muscle the way you want to. So that's it. Eat enough, work out hard, recover properly. That's it for everybody. Everybody needs to take that advice. It's just with an ectomorph, you might need to tweak things differently um, because you know what your unique challenge is. So good luck. I love that question. And again, talk to a coach, talk to me, send me a message on Instagram if you want to talk about it more. Um, what is recovery like post-competition? So we talked a little bit about this, um, but it's, it's interesting that you use the word recovery because it kind of does make it seem like it was a traumatic event or, or an accident that you're, that you're recovering from. But yeah, I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, the week 
or even couple weeks leading up to a competition are even more extreme than the months leading up to it that you were prepping. You, there's a sort of a special protocol that happens for most people the week leading up to the show to get you really stage ready, as the term goes. Um, so, and then of course you've got sort of the adrenaline and the excitement of the day. Um, and so, yeah, you are going to want to recover. So for at least a couple days to a week after, you are actually recovering. And by recovering, I mean you are hydrating properly, you are eating properly, and you are resting. And that happens for a couple days to a couple weeks, depending on who you are and how you feel. Um, after that, it's about um, making thoughtful adjustments to your diet and your training so that you your body doesn't um, have any negative consequences. And so you're still supporting um, your energy and your mental health and all of these things. Um, but knowing that you're not going to be training and eating the same way that you were three weeks ago prepping for the show, right? So <clears throat> for me, uh, the first couple of times, well, the first competition I ate, I spent like four days just eating every garbage food I could find, which I think is a very common response for most people who have had a uber restrictive diet for the first time in their life. I mean, I went four months without eating sugar for the most part and sugar is my favorite. So I ate a lot of I ate a lot of sugar. I ate a lot of junk food, and I felt kind of gross afterwards. And so then I stopped. Um, and then I didn't do a good job of they call it the term that people like to use is called reverse dieting. So if you've spent three or four months gradually reducing your calories, it only makes sense then that you're going to spend a couple months gradually upping your calories as you come back out to support a normal, healthy body weight and normal physical activity, right? So that is, again, something you want to work on with your coach. That does make sense. Most people aren't going to go from the crazy restrictive diet they had before the competition right back up to the way they were eating six months ago, right? Like there, there has to be a process that your body can become accustomed to it so that you don't put on extra weight super quickly, so that you aren't bloated, so that your digestion isn't compromised, all of these things. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. But I think that generally speaking, what's important is that you recognize that there should be a recovery period and there should be a gradual um, reversal of what you were doing instead of just like zero to a hundred, right? Um, and that is something that you need to figure out the details of with a coach, with some professionals and with yourself. Um, but it's a good question because there must be some form of recovery afterwards. Um, so that's a great question. Okay. This one's kind of funny. <clears throat> Peak week mistakes or show day disasters. I guess you want to hear about mine. And yes, there are some, uh, it's hilarious. The peak week, the day of, it's so fun. Like it is literally like a, it's like walking into a alternate universe of just weirdness that, that you, you take for granted, I guess how weird it is. Cause you're in it. But if somebody who wasn't a bodybuilder walked into like the behind the scenes, like behind the stage kind of antics that are going on, it's so funny. Um, okay. So peak week, let's go back to peak week. So peak week is the week before the competition where you are again, preparing your body to be its absolute most aesthetic, um, getting up on the stage. So what we're probably talking about here is as lean as you're going to get um, but still sort of full, your muscles look full. You don't look depleted. You don't look stringy. You don't look tired. You look healthy and energetic and full, but very lean. 
So <clears throat> that's fun. That's an easy thing to accomplish. Uh, and what it really requires a lot of times for people is um, some form of water manipulation, which again, extreme sounds weird, but it's what happens if you look at MMA fighters or powerlifters and people who are um, trying to get to a specific weight for a competition. They do things like this too, where you're sort of sweating a lot or you're manipulating how much water you're drinking so that you're kind of essentially dehydrated, right? Um, you're pulling the water out of your skin and out of your fat so that you can see the muscle through the skin that much better. So most people are doing some form of that. Um, further restricting your diet. So the week before, you're probably not eating a whole lot of carbs at all. You're probably eating less calories than you've ever eaten. And you're probably tapering your workouts because you don't want to be sore. You don't want to mess anything up. Um, so you're really kind of taking it easy, but but really restricting what you're eating and drinking. Um, and I did that. I did all of that. Um, it the water manipulation, at least for me, involved sort of days of just chugging as much water as you could. And you're paying attention to how to how much you're not going to overdo it because that can actually be dangerous. Um, and then the days leading up, you're drinking less water and less water. And so your body's kind of peeing out all your liquid. You're not taking any more in. So you're really just dehydrating yourself, essentially. Um, so that's happening. And then sort of the day before and the day of, there's all these protocols of sort of um, filling yourself back out with carbs. So some people will drink red wine, um, because it can improve vascularity. Some people will eat, um, sugar or honey and things like that right before they go out on stage and pump themselves up. Uh, everybody kind of has their own plan and their own way of doing it. But what you are doing is sort of depleting yourself as much as you safely can. And then right before you go out, pumping yourself back up again. For me, there really wasn't a whole lot of that because again, I'm just like, I'm not that big or muscular or veiny. I really look quite sort of quote unquote average and normal. So the, that stuff didn't make a huge difference for me. I mean, I definitely still did the the water manipulation. I did the sort of eating less the week um, leading up to it. And then before I'd go out on stage, you'd kind of lift, lift some weights. Everybody's got weights in the back um, and, or bands or something. So you're kind of pump, getting a little pump in your, in your muscles, getting some blood in your muscles to kind of pump them up a little bit. And I'd eat some, some peanut butter and honey or some peanut butter cups or something sugary to kind of just give you that little energy and put the, the sugar in your bloodstream kind of pump you up even more. Um, but walking through backstage, I'd see people just, um, pouring honey into their mouths. Um, all kinds of, it's, oh man, it was so funny. I'm thinking about it now. It's, it's a jungle back there. It's just a bunch of tanned bodies in glittery suits. Um, doing push-ups and and making sure that your butt's not hanging out of your very skimpy suit and and I'm talking about men and women here. Um so yeah, I mean there's a lot going on. There's the tanning. The tanning uh part I think is a place where you could have some show day disasters. So the tanning is like a serious part of it, right? Because you have to the darker your skin is, the darker and kind of shinier your skin is, the easier it is to see the shadows and the cuts and the the muscle, right? So if you are a normal, um, non-tanned, and you know, you're a white person, I don't know, you're not shiny, you're not going to see, you can be buff and, and super jacked and you look right on the beach, but when you go up on stage, you, it, you're not going to see what um, the judges want to see. So the tanning has become standard. Some people do it on their own. There's usually people at the show that will do this sort of professional tanning for you. Again, highly recommend it. It just kind of puts everybody on like a relatively level playing field in terms of ability to see your musculature, right? But it's crazy because you're doing full body spray tanning 
in a tent, like a little mini tent in a probably a hotel ballroom with 20 other tents with 20 other naked people in there all getting tanned at the same time. So normally you go in there, it's, it's going to be not co-ed, right? So it's women go at a certain time, men go at a certain time, but there's like this really funny, um, lack of, uh, like sort of shame around your body that you have to experience when you do these things. And it's funny how that worked for me personally, because I felt that the leaner I got, it was almost like there was less to um, cover up and hide, right? Like my breasts are getting smaller. My I don't have as much sort of soft jiggliness on my body. And I just felt like there was less for me to, to cover up and be concerned about. So I really did have not a lot of issue with being naked in front of other strangers. Cause I was just like, what? We all look the same. We all look like these weird sort of buff lean aliens with nothing on our bodies, but some six packs. Like it's, I don't know. It's just interesting. But so you go into this room and you get into this little tent and a stranger airbrushes your entire naked body. And then you stand there in the cold while it dries. You can't move. Your arms are up and you're just kind of like talking to the naked person next to you. Like, Hey, where are you competing? Hey, where are you from? Like, how's it going? Do you know, Steve? Like that's literally what the conversation was. So crazy. Um, but you have to prepare yourself before you get the spray tan because you have to make sure that you you know you've shaved or done whatever so you're you know hairless you want to exfoliate you want to make sure you're just as clean as you can be but if you use like certain soap that ha- leaves a film on your skin that's going to affect your tan you'll notice if you see people on stage that are too dark or they're blotchy or whatever it's because they didn't sort out their pre-tan ritual like there's these are the little things that you don't know unless you talk to other people unless you have a good coach who's going to tell you everything um more TMI stories. So there's things like um, the suits. So you get the tan and then you put these tiny suits on, right? That barely fit your body. They're covering up the bare minimum, right? Because the point is to see as much of your body as possible. Um, And the suits are uncomfortable. You're putting them on over this tan that still is going to smear and go all over the place. You've got to glue it in place so that it doesn't fall off. So one of your boobs doesn't pop out when you're on stage. So there's actual suit glue, these like roll on glue that you're gluing your suit onto your body. Uh, and people are helping you and you know, your suits up your butt and you're gluing it there. And it's just like a whole other level of strangeness, um, while that's happening. So that's a, fun part of it um the conversations you have in the back the backstage like you're standing there with just a bunch of random tanned sparkly strangers and some people are freaking out and some people are having a great time and some people have done it a million times and some people are scared they're gonna trip in their heels um it's really uh it's such a interesting trip my biggest show day disaster i'll tell you right now was in the national competition so my last biggest competition I had rented a beautiful mermaid sparkly suit from my, um, from my coach and the renting part I know can give people kind of make you feel a little grossed out because you're wearing a bathing suit that someone else has worn. Please know that, look, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you don't feel comfortable doing it by your own. Great. Um, but these suits are painstakingly dry cleaned. They're worn once and you are again, so, dried out and and in such an interesting place that <laughs> I'm not as worried about sort of the uh the hygiene around wearing somebody else's suit. I mean, these suits have been worn three or four times and the worst you're going to get is somebody's spray tan on you. So, 
I rented it from my um, from my coach because it was beautiful because I didn't want to spend a thousand dollars on a sequin bikini, um, and it was beautiful and I loved it and I had worn it for my um, provincial show that I won. It didn't fit me super great because she is a different body type than me. She was taller. She has um, breasts that I don't have, um, so it didn't fit me like a hundred percent. Like it wasn't made for me, but it fit me well enough and it was pretty and and I liked it and I was just too um, lazy and and. Uh, cheap to get my own. So I wore it again for this um, national competition. And leading up to the show, you have these athlete meetings where they walk you through what's going to go on and they give you the schedule. And they also um, check your height to decide what category you're going to be in. And they check your suit to make sure that's appropriate because there are rules around the suit too. Like you can show this much or it can be this size or whatever. It's strange, arbitrary rules around what the suit has to look like. So again, this is very like zoo-like, like you're just kind of being walked through and they're kind of checking you out and looking at things and seeing how tall you are and putting you in categories. Very weird. Um, but for this particular show, um, the, the, I guess she wasn't a judge, but it was somebody that was sort of in charge of, of managing these things, did not like the look of my suit on me. I think she thought I had too much butt. I had too much ass poking out of the back of this suit, <laughs> which I did not anticipate because I had worn it already and it was great. Maybe I, I uh, you know, did too much lower body work between the two shows and I got more of a butt and it was, she, she wasn't liking it but she had pretty strict feelings about it. So I'm in this, uh, room full of all these people getting, um, you know, uh, checked out and we're all talking and everyone's kind of watching each other. And she's telling me to pull my pants down in front of all these people. And she's like telling me to do a twirl and look and have this person look and this person check out my suit. And is it okay? Which I I was not pleased with. I did not like the way she was talking to me and treating me. Um, but I'm standing here thinking, I don't have a backup suit. I don't, again, I'm cheap. I don't care about this stuff that much. I don't have two suits waiting in the back that are going to work. So she told me it wouldn't work. She said it wasn't okay. It wasn't an appropriate suit. I couldn't wear it. So I had traveled to uh, the corner of Canada from, I was living in New York at the time and I traveled back to Canada to do this show. And uh, she was telling me I had too much ass to compete and I was not happy. My family was there. It was like a whole thing. So what ended up happening was a, woman, a friend of a friend had the exact same problem. I was in the bathroom freaking out saying, I don't have a suit to wear. What am I going to do? She came in with the exact same problem because her suit wasn't appropriate. It wasn't good. So we decided last minute to swap suits. So I put on this red suit that I would never have worn. I don't like the color red at all. She put on my mermaid suit and we still had different body types. I'm like, I don't see how this is going to change anything. I mean, our butts are our butts. Our chest is our chest. I mean, it is what it is. So we put on each other's suits, go back out, and they gave us the okay. For whatever reason, that one was okay. The quarter of an inch less, I guess, of my glutes that this woman could see she approved of. Long story short, we ended up going out on stage in each other's suits. We made great friends. Um because that's a pretty intimate thing to have to do, but you got to do what you got to do at the last minute. And I ended up kind of liking the red suit and I did okay. And it was fine. Um, But it was a pretty intense moment. So I guess being prepared for things like that goes back to the negative visualization, have backups, um, make sure that the, the suit that you have, you're super comfortable. It fits you, you know, you've checked it a million times. I mean, these things will still happen. Um, but that was probably my biggest show day disaster. And I still am happy that I 
I've never tripped on stage. That would be my biggest show day disaster. Most people don't though. You know, like everyone freaks out about that. You get up there in your clear heels and your bikini and you trip. People don't really do that. It's fine. You go out there and just smile and have a, have a good time. And that is why I haven't really had many show day disasters because when I get to the day, to the competition, I have hardly any nerves. I'm mostly just excited because for me, the work is done. That three, four months where I dedicated every workout and every meal to one goal and I worked really hard to do the best that I could and I look back and think I gave it my entire effort. I can't look back and say I should have tried harder. I should have done something different. I gave it everything. And so whatever happens today is fun and a bonus. And again, I think that is reflected on stage because one of the other mistakes that I see people making is getting into their own heads and freaking out the day of the competition. They're stressed. They're worried. They're looking at everybody else in the lineup and they're thinking, is my suit okay? And am I shaking too much? And did I eat enough? And this person's buffer than me. And guess what's happening? You're not enjoying yourself. You're not enjoying the goal that you set out to enjoy. And then that anxiety and fear and stress is reflected in your performance when you go out there and you pose and you have to painstakingly look both perfectly composed and happy at the same time. If you're stressed out, they're going to see it. They're going to see that on stage. And I just went out and had a great time. I did my little walk in my bikini and I smiled and I waved and I flexed and I had fun. And judges can see that. And it matters. It does. Because again, this is a bodybuilding competition. It's a muscle competition, but it's also a beauty pageant for men and for women. Do you look happy? Do Does the crowd like you? Do you look relaxed? Are you, can you pose properly? We haven't even gotten into posing in this, in this uh, episode, but that's, I guess, maybe more specific than we need to get. But have you practiced these things? Do you look like you're having a good time? That matters. And I really think that had a lot to do with my success was that I just had zero, uh, need to, to control the outcome. I just, whatever the outcome was, the outcome was. And I feel like that had a, a big part to play in my success. Cause I was just having fun and people could tell. Um, so that's it. Make sure your, your suit fits, make sure you use the right soap before you get your tan and have fun. Just have fun with it because it can be fun. It can be so much fun. It can be crazy and weird and stressful, but it can be such a hilarious, fun time if you don't take it too seriously. Okay. Uh, last question, because this is really getting long. I guess I could just talk about this all day long. Someone asked me about a typical day diet for me. And, um, I keep meaning to do like a post about this and then I just get too lazy, but, um, I'll kind of walk through it. So for me, and again, I going back to what I said before, I wasn't really doing strict paleo or or any kind of nutritional protocol. I was basically just like it was macros above everything else. It was getting enough protein, getting enough energy to do my workouts and gradually reducing my calories that I was losing enough body fat. That's really what it was. Um, so a typical day for me was four or five meals a day. And I know that is a more typical traditional approach to bodybuilding. Lots of people do it eating one or two meals a day. I found for me, because I was eating so little, relatively speaking, that I would rather eat a bunch of times during the day and kind of have those little pick-me-ups and have that kind of morale boost than just try to fit whatever my calories were into one or two meals. So I was eating four, four to five meals a day. That's usually three main meals and two snacks. Each one was heavily centered on protein. And then they, the rest of it would either be carbs. Um, 
starchy carbs or um, greens, like non-starchy carbs with a little bit of fat, depending on the day. So if I was doing um, a leg day, I'd have more carbs. Back day, I'd have more carbs. If I was just doing like an off day with cardio or arm day, maybe it would be less carbs. It was very low fat, which again is very traditional, um, but that worked well for me. Um, I tolerate carbs pretty well and I, I do have a hard time kind of moderating fat intake. And again, it's, it's so dependent on the individual, but for me, I'm a smaller person. So my calories are going to be low. Like I know a lot of people, their issue with bodybuilding food prep is that they have to force feed. You have to eat so much that it's uncomfortable. This is usually for the bigger guys. Um, but I'm on the other end of the spectrum where my whole thing was managing calories and restricting calories. Um, to a certain extent. So I couldn't really mess with stuff that was super calorically dense because I just wouldn't be able to eat enough of it. And it would be, it would come across even more restrictive and more difficult. So I really tried to focus on just protein first and then what kind of high volume carbs, um, that I tolerate well, can I eat? And that's really what it was. So it would look like the morning was eggs and oatmeal. Lunch would be maybe, um, chicken or ground turkey or ground beef with sweet potato. And then maybe dinner was um, fish and Brussels sprouts and asparagus or a salad. And then in between, I'd have maybe a protein bar or a protein shake or <clears throat> Greek yogurt with protein powder in it. Um, so again, pretty nutritionally um, sound. I mean, I was eating probably more uh, monotonously than I normally would in terms of variety. Like I could probably list 20 things and that's mostly what I ate. Sweet potato, rice, oatmeal, chicken, beef, um, salmon, white fish, um, protein powder, Greek yogurt. I mean, that's really there wasn't a lot, um, but it also took away any kind of decision-making fatigue that I had to make. I just, I meal prepped, I prepped all the meals, I put them in individual containers so I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to weigh things out. I didn't have to measure. I just knew. I just went in there and grabbed some food and I ate it. Um, I really paid attention to digestion and chewing and paying attention, like being present with my food um, because it was very fleeting and it was, it was, you know, you, you pay a lot more attention to your food when you have to be restrictive. So I tried to kind of put that in a, a positive light. But really looking back, I mean, I wasn't eating a thousand calories a day. I was eating, and I don't even know, I wasn't, I really wasn't actually tracking macros or calories that much. I mostly just listened to what my coach said and she knew based on my size and the weight that I had to lose and all those things, how much I should be eating. So I wasn't looking at every food, like here's how much protein is in it. Here's how many calories, whatever. It was mostly just um, trying to enjoy and digest the food that I was eating and know that I didn't really have a lot of flexibility in, oh, well, I still feel like having like a, a cookie now, or I'm going to go walk to the grocery store and buy some extras because I feel like it, like that wasn't happening. That's where the, the strict part was coming in. Like I had my food and that's what I ate and I didn't eat anything else. Um, but it really didn't look super crazy, again, restrictive. I mean, it, it was more in the, um, the monotony of it and the um, lack of treats that really is kind of what made it made it more uh, restrictive. But I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it, it really wasn't super bad. And I had like, I had, uh, you know, quote unquote, cheat meals built in. So every week, at least every week, I had a meal where my coach said, eat whatever you want, but like, don't take longer than an hour to do it. Because then of course, it turns into an entire weekend. Um, so again, I had a pretty uh, reasonable approach to the way I ate. Um, and that's it. I mean, it's kind of boring, but that's okay. And, you know, it was part of the process. If you, if you don't like 
eating the same foods over and over again, if you don't like being strict about what you eat, again, maybe this uh, is not for you. So that's it. Um, I have a lot more that I could say, um, but I could go on forever. I think that maybe at this point, I'd like to ask for your feedback. If you still have questions, um, if there's anything specific you want to talk about, if you want me to have a bodybuilder on so we can have a more nuanced conversation about it, let me know. Happy to do that. Um, and I hope that you learned something. I hope that you um, enjoyed the chat. And I'm going to see if I can find some of the write, uh, writing that I did, because I did write pretty painstaking and I think pretty funny um, <laughs> reports on my prep process. I had a website um, at one point that I was posting these things and it's gone now. So I'll see if I can find it because I'd like to post it back up on my website um, for people who like to read this stuff too. But you can find out um, more about the coaching that I offer, more about um, some recipes and blogs, because I do have that on my website too. You can go to ashleyvanhouten.com. You can reach out to me um, at the Muscle Maven on Instagram and say hi to me there and ask your questions or maybe um, some suggestions for future episodes. And um, that's it. If you decide to, to compete in bodybuilding, I would love to hear about it. I'd love to hear your story and your um, experience. I think, like I said before, it can be a really, really fun, really unique learning experience. And it can also be a total drag depending on <laughs> your mental state and what you want to get out of it, um, just like anything. So to wrap it up, just like I've said with every other part of your life, it's about doing your research, being really honest with yourself, uh, and then when you've decided to do something, you 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 really do it. You do it with your whole heart and your whole uh, energy, and you'll get out of it what you want. So that's that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Join me again next week um, for a great guest this time so I can talk a little bit less. And uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.